Welcome to the Food Junkies podcast. Here, we aim to provide you with the experience, strength, and hope of professionals actively working on the front lines in the field of food addiction. The purpose of our show is to educate you, the listener, and increase overall awareness about food addiction as a disease with abstinence as the solution. Here, we talk about all things recovery. Most importantly, how to thrive rather than just survive. So stay positive, make a change for yourself, tell others about your change, and hopefully the message will spread. We've all heard of George Foreman. Well, today we have the heavyweight hitter of sugar addiction recovery, Shun Foreman. She has been a registered nurse for 22 years, and she's a fierce advocate for improving the health of people and communities of color. Shun's journey from nurse to activist is just fascinating. Today, Shun shares her personal journey in quitting sugar and how this led her to start a movement called Sugar Mode Off. She also has an incredible Facebook support group, Sisters Breaking the Bonds of Sugar, which is helping save lives by encouraging participants to use food as medicine. Her combined experience of nursing, human rights, and social justice has allowed her to share her lived experience and knowledge on how sugar has impacted African-American communities since slavery. She believes wholeheartedly that food, African-American women, and the hidden harm of sugar are the three most overlooked sources of healing for African-American communities. She has made her life's work to educate others about the harms of sugar and is truly creating dialogue change that will empower and promote healing in communities of color. We love this interview. We know you will too. Thank you, Shun, for being here. I just want to say it's such a pleasure to finally be able to meet you, at least face-to-face. I know that we've chatted back and forth a little bit on Instagram, and certainly we've been listening lately to your interviews with Molly Carmel and Jen Unwin and Siobhan Harris, amongst some others. And so really, for our listeners, can you just share your personal story with us, your aha moment when it came to discovering you were a sugar addict? Well, yes, I can. But let me just say, y'all, like, I'm so excited. When we say we've chatted a little bit, I think it's a little bit more than chatted. (laughs) Both of you have given me just Instagram tips and just life tips. So I appreciate that. And I have to say to your audience that they're just more than just, hey, just trying to interview somebody. They're really alongside of anybody in sugar world and just trying to help them. So I just want to say I really do appreciate that support and the love and all the generosity that both of you show all the time. So yeah, to start with my story, it is so accidental because in a selfish way, I was really just trying to write a paper that would connect the story of healthcare as I saw it and the disparities that I was seeing and tie that into human rights and social justice. In my brain, like I had been working on like trying to prove that there was something out there when I started the program. Actually, that's why I wanted to get into a human rights and social justice program was because I really just said something's just not right. So I really began to look at sugar in a way to where I think it's just natural like for nurses to sort of go down the road of sugar because the top disease that we see maybe is diabetes. So I kind of was trying to make those connections between sugar, diabetes, and like whatever. And it really just became like, to me, like I just became obsessed with the topic of sugar because at the time I was with my family, we were dropping off my daughter. We happened to be in Sugarland, Texas. 
and they were exhuming the bodies of 95 enslaved, well, at that time, convict leasing workers, and those were Black bodies. And there was just so many questions. My husband and I, we were just kind of talking back and forth and like Sugarland, why is it named Sugarland? And it just really went down the road of just saying, whoa, like this is like kind of sad. 95 bodies? And then in the paper is reading like, well, 95 bodies, these ages ranged from like 14 to like 65 or 66. And then there happened to be one female Well, there was one local historian down in Sugarland, Texas at the time. He had done work for like years, like maybe 20 years or so, and just really digging into the story and understanding that those bodies were from the convict leasing system era, which is right after Reconstruction. And what do farmers do or sharecroppers do? What do they do when their workforce is gone? So then they created this prison system to begin to, let's just say it was a quick way to get work. So then you could lock up Black bodies and just really essentially make them go back into slavery, but in the form of convict leasing. So that story was one that was really deep and it just resonated with me. There's always a lot of information about race and tension and all of that. But with me being part of a human rights and social justice program, I really have to try to say, yes, there's pain, but how do I work through the pain? Because I have to see the history. Mm -hmm. I have to know it, but I can't ignore it. Right. And so for me, history is just one of those things like I just kind of have to do more than just read about it. I mean, like it's a newspaper article. Let me see if I can reach out to the historian and talk to him and get a little bit more information. And I did that. When I did that, he was so open and he gave me so much information. He really sort of translated like bigger work into just looking at the history. Because when I told him, my thought was like, it's modern day slavery. If we look at it, because like when you look at the diabetes rate, hypertension rate and all these different diseases and illnesses that African-Americans are struggling with, then that's also connected to like that history. So there's been a long standing history of harm. And so he told me, he's just like, I can't believe you said that. And he said, and I've never connected the two. I've never connected the two. He said, I just kind of was stuck at the history here and on this level, but I never connected it to my body. So that kind of really motivated me to continue to learn and dig. The fascination continued. So then I was like pretty much deep into my writing my paper or trying to write it. And then I was just like, you know what? I need to go to a sugar plantation. First of all, I've never gone to a plantation before. So I need to do one of the tours just to see what's there. Because I had taken a civil rights pilgrimage before, that type of learning for me was everything. To be able to touch history, see history, stand in a place where perhaps like we can just say injustice was done. So I did that. And that was just like a turning point for me into where I was like, oh my gosh, like we're pretty... (laughs) kind of written out of the story, (laughs) you know, it's like, and okay, what am I going to do? Like, what do I need to do? And then I just sort of, it really kickstarted my behavior. It changed my behavior and the way I thought about sugar. And it's like, really at that time, I was only thinking about table sugar. Table sugar was the thing, like I could just identify with, oh, that's got sugar. I'm not going to do that. And that's sort of like where the t-shirt came in. And then, of course, after finishing the program, completing the paper, turning it in, that wasn't it. You can't be done with (laughs) If I've looked back all the way and connected this sugar topic, African-American bodies, all the way back to slavery, 
But then I would run across these articles on addiction and I'm like, I mean, yeah, I'm probably addicted, but I'm not like addicted. I'm not like an addict. And so that's kind of where I was able to searching for more information. I'm on the summit. I'm looking at the summit like a fan. And then that's when I found out Fitness had a program and just really like day one of that program taught me, yeah, for sure, you're an addict. And then that like motivated another aspect of behavioral change for me. So because for me, I don't think you could have sat me down like five, six years ago and said, hey, sugar's bad for you. I would have been like, yeah, but so sugar's bad for me. So what? So it's probably walking outside. Sometimes it's probably the air that I'm breathing is bad. But what do you mean? So and Benton's course was able to help me to understand that it was just bigger than like a lazy thing or a lack of motivation, sort of all those things that when you go to the doctor's office and they tell you, you need to lose weight. We're going to check your labs again and we'll see how that goes. All of those things that really identified now that I look back, I just kind of thought, well, maybe I need to exercise more. So yeah, I'd like to say that those were the two major phases for me, just learning the history and then putting on the health and the biochemical part is the second part. And then right now I feel like I'm in accountability phase, which that's another, like when you have support in and around you, you realize that accountability is everything. Like you realize that, yeah, people ask, uh, are you tempted to have sugar anymore? And I'm like, yeah, I am. And I do, but I certainly can go down the deep end and you all know where that is. But when you have a group that you can go back to and really that you feel like you're supporting and that really were like you five, six years ago and didn't have that information, knowledge or care that, yeah, it's my responsibility to stay on track. So it's kind of like mommying in mode, you know, 1000, you know? So, yeah, I think that's pretty much my journey and how I got here. Yeah, no, thank you so much for sharing. And for everyone who can't see what we're doing right now, Shun has a sugar mode off shirt. And she was talking before the show how just wearing that shirt kind of let the people around her know that she wasn't doing sugar. And I think this can be such a challenge where we see race and sugar intersect. And also then how do we take steps forward? And especially someone like you who works in the human rights, it should be a human right access to real food. But this isn't the situation in many populations. I know here our indigenous populations are in these food deserts. And what are some ways that you think we can get closer? Do you think the key is education? Like, what do you think is the piece that we really should be focusing on? Yeah, I have toyed with that question for, and let me just say toyed in a real way, like thinking about it all the time, but also doing the incorrect thing, which was for me, when I learned all about the addiction piece, I was full-fledged, like I'm going in like family. Okay, this is out. Don't do this. Blah, blah, blah. And I realized that more so than I thought, I was really preaching and I don't like preaching. And more than that, I was really talking the talk of addiction. And I realize now that when we say addiction, it really excludes so many people. Right off the bat, without even trying, you're just excluding a category of people, which would have included me years ago had I not taken the road to 
talking about addiction. So what I like to do is I like to open up this world of awareness. Let's start there. Okay, what's out there, first of all? Well, good thing the American Heart Association has done is that they provided us guidelines. And those guidelines, I think they were put out in 2018, but 20, at least there's a stance, right? That women and children should have no more than 25 grams of sugar a day. Men, I don't know why they can get 36 grams a day, but either way, they can get 36 grams a day. And I think that opens up conversations for everybody because that Dr. Pepper sitting on your desk at seven or eight o'clock in the morning has over three times the amount that you need in one day. And then on top of that, when we're talking about the awareness, we're talking about that sugar is not the same sugar, like table sugar. That sugar is like high fructose corn syrup. So that's very different from table sugar. It's going to do very differently in your body than table sugar. So I think that when you can just use the language of awareness, like it's helped my kids and it's kept me from being in preacher mode. And it also... I think just helps people to say, I can softly work around these rules myself. And once you figure out that, wow, I can't even cut back to 25 grams a day, that's going to lead you to the world of addiction. You, so the road of awareness to me is the road to addiction. That's anything like you've got to realize where you are. <laughs> Self-awareness is everything, right? So self-awareness then leads you to talking about what do I really think I have to have in the morning or the day? Do I have to have that donut? So anyway, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm trying to do anyway. So yeah, I could not have loved more what you just said because you are so right. A, addiction still has that stigma to it. And B, why are we not giving this message to somebody who may just be harmfully using this substance and just to get them to be curious about it, right? And I just love that it's kind of that harm reduction approach where you're taking a few steps mentally to create that awareness to get to be like, hmm, 25 grams, I do that at breakfast. So how do I start to reduce, right? And that high octane, high fructose, right? That education piece too. No, thank you so much for sharing. Go ahead, Molly. (laughs) Yeah, no, I was gonna say something very similar because I mean, Clarissa and I are both harm reduction clinicians and we fully believe in prevention. We fully believe in early intervention. We are happy to work with people who are in that harmful using stage. Like you said, like just getting that awareness and like, oh, I need to bring it down to 25 grams and oh, that wasn't so hard, but maybe I want to tighten that up. Or like you said, they're realizing this is maybe something more. And so that got me to thinking too, you talked a little bit about like preaching at your family and we've heard you've said that a few times and realizing, okay, I've got to walk that back a little bit. So knowing like with your family, you use this awareness language. Now as a nurse, does conversation about when you're working in that capacity, does that conversation ever come up with the patients that you're working with or their physicians? And if so, how do you do that? Is there pushback from the physician or is there like a working relationship with that? Well, I am fortunate to work on a project right now and just really just in the hospital and working on pretty much just going with American Heart Association guidelines. I don't think there's been an awareness that there is a need to talk about sugar awareness. I think what we've done is hospitals and systems are created to maintain and 
to prevent things from getting worse. But the prevention piece, I think that's something that I think we're working on. So I think what we can say is like the diabetic educators do a great job, but what we in this world, what we want to do is we want to have less diabetics. So that's community work, right? So that's totally different from like what you might find in the hospital. So, but yeah, I think it should be posted <laughs> in the hospitals, right? <laughs> like just post it up. Like, so do you, yeah. Right. Do you ever see yourself becoming like working for like a county health department or something along those lines and doing that kind of work? Or do you really see yourself more at that macro level? I didn't even see myself here like three months ago. <laughs> so I'm open as long as I can really just like teach people sugar awareness. I think I'm, I'm great. I'm happy in a free world. I'm happy. I'm happy to teach and talk about sugar. Yeah. So in that same world, I'm sure sometimes you run into dietitians and as well, you know, dietitians, we run into this in the eating disorder food world space where they say, restricting or eliminating some of these foods creates unhealthy food habits. So what would you say to those dietitians? And do you come into contact and how do you communicate with them? Yeah, I'm going to say what would not work for me and what did not work for me is the restriction moderation, like that model, because we didn't even start with the language of what sugar was doing to me. It was just about food and calories. And food and calories was not it. I mean, like sugar is it. So I think the more we can hone in saying, okay, and not just sugar, but all the other inflammatory things out there, right? I mean, but the more you know, the more you're going to go down that road. But I think those conversations are probably more worthwhile than telling someone that you can only have so much food on your plate. Because the reality is we know this, is that you can actually have kind of like a lot of food on your plate. It's just got to be good food. Uh, I mean, I've found that I eat less knowing about the sugar world. I mean, I thought I had to have a lot of food, but it's not about a lot of food. It's just about eating the right food. So, yeah. Yeah. It's like that quality conversation that needs to happen instead of just saying, we've heard this story over and over again, not only from people that we've spoke with for Food Junkies podcast, but also clients that have said, I went, I thought I had binge eating disorder or blah, 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 whatever. And they wanted me to eat one cookie a day every day because that was how I was going to not restrict. And then I wouldn't binge or whatever. And never once did somebody say like, eat a sweet potato every day. You know what I mean? Because I think if they actually spoke about the quality of the food, they would realize, right? That it's the quality of that cookie, which is poor quality versus the quality of that sweet potato. And that's why, right? And like you said, like what the chemical of sugar is doing in our body versus how it's when it's more multifaceted, complex item like a sweet potato. So, I mean, I think that's so important and, and such a, you know, I like want to underscore that point that you made definitely. So, okay. So you're doing your master's degree. You're like doing this capstone project. You're working on a project in the hospital somewhere along the line, you form a Facebook group. And so tell us about this Facebook group and who's in there. How do you work with them? Like, what is that all about? How many are there? Yeah. How many, how many people do you have in there? All the things. So, yeah, so that started in February and really it was just kind of like did my own little coaching on the side and saw some great results with people, just like two or three people cutting back and they were like losing weight. They were like, "Eh." I was like, okay, so now I'm really like, I've got to do something. So a couple of friends that I had gone to school with, they were just like, girl, 
open up a Facebook group. And I'm like, I just got on Facebook. And I really don't like it. Like, I'm only on Facebook just so that I can be in Bitten's group. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> and so, and I just, that whole thing was just like, it's just another thing, right? So I was just, okay, let me open it up. Maybe I can get like six or seven people. And that first month we had like 88 people. So, and I opened it up just thinking like the sisters breaking the bonds of sugar. Like, let's just, if I get like in a real world, my community service would be going to the beauty shop and going to church after choir rehearsal on Saturdays, going to the barbershops and family reunions, right? And just being the person in the community to where people could just talk about sugar. Let's just talk about it. But the truth was COVID was <laughs> like, it shut down everything. So the Facebook group made sense, right? And so it's just really just open it up to women of color and just like, let's just get in there and talk about history and health and how it all relates to our bodies and when we're talking about the topic of sugar. And so now today we're up to, I think it's 450 or so. And so it's just really evolving into, I mean, you know, I'm talking about the accountability piece, but like, man, the responsibility piece. And you're just like, wow, yeah, I get it. Like, I know that you want to have the agave and you've been doing it for all these years, but I'm just letting you know that that's also high in high fructose, (laughs) you know, so I just want you to know. So we just have these discussions, conversations, and we've also been fortunate to have uh, Molly Carmel to come and help us with our book club with uh, just, we've started out reading her book and having conversations about that book. Because what I realize is that I can't do anything alone. Like I can't. I don't honestly want to be the only person in the room that's healthy. It is so boring. It is so scary to be aware when you know that a lot of people aren't aware. I want to be around more aware people. So, and I just thought like, hey, this Facebook group would be a good group to just operate in because I, the change came through me. I'm a mom. So I was like, let's just do it in sisterhood. If I wouldn't have made the change, my husband wouldn't have made any changes. And not that we're perfect by any we're not perfect, but I know that those changes came through me. So, and that's what it is. I mean, we're, I just feel like it's just such a safe place. And I feel like we're just being honest with each other. And like I said, I really wanted to give them sort of the journey that I had, which I don't think like having the history, if I didn't have that to help me with the health part, I don't know if I would have made those changes. I think it's just truly important. And I think if I can't stress enough, like how really sort of the struggle for people of color is so deeply tied into like the story of sugar. Can you share a little bit about how you made that transition with your family and loved ones? And like, what are some of those changes you were just speaking about that? Like, can you really highlight them for people? Because we have a lot of people who are just starting this journey. Yeah. So the big thing is on self first. (laughs) Like, do not try to go and change your family's life while you're trying to work on yours. It really is like you really need to get yourself in a place to where you're like aware and enlightened. I'd like to say that there is an enlightenment that comes with kicking sugar that you need to have that before you say, okay, family. I'm taking out your cookies because you are like a mad person and they really identify with you as the mad person. And that's the last thing I need to be with two teenage daughters. It's the mad person. I've already got other things I could be mad about. So mask on me first. 
Secondly, I love to just stick with the awareness points, especially with teenage girls. What do you want? More protein or more carbs, which is sugar. For every carb, it's just really equal to sugar. I mean, I'm just saying the American Heart Association says, I'm just saying, like, they're the ones who keep up with all the numbers for heart attack strokes. I'm just saying. Well, you know, they said that COVID, like, underlying conditions is like what's getting. So it is just like, I mean, I have to use it on the level that they can receive it. Now, my husband was on board. Like, that's a good thing. I had a partner in crime. So, and so with us, like, we made those changes and dropped the weight, like, 50 pounds for me, 80 something pounds for him. So it was just incredible to see like, gosh, all that treadmill and all those exercises that we were doing in the past, we're probably doing more harm to our joints than anything. So, but yeah, so really just, if you can just mask on you first and then use the awareness language with your family and then know too, that like any type of change that you're going to try to create, it's action oriented. You can't just talk. Talking is nothing. Like if I had known that like 20 something years ago, it really is like you have to get up and do something about it. You really do. So, and so that means like getting the kids to help prepare meals, getting them involved so that they can act and be a part of it, uh, getting them to read a label. So it really is the act of doing something like it. This whole recovery harm reduction world is really about doing something about it. Even if you just, thinking like, wow, I didn't know like yesterday, you're doing something about it. Okay. I'm going to eat less of that. That's doing something. So yeah. No, I think that's beautiful because I mean, obviously the history, the knowledge is a very important aspect, right? But as we know, like if we could have outthought or outfelt this thing that's happening, if it's actually addiction, right? We would have done it years ago. It's the doing piece. And I love that, like always be doing something. And I think Molly Carmel is even famous for saying something is better than nothing. Even if it's just that starting those conversations, like in the Facebook group, that kind of thing. So to have those conversations with your teenagers, it's just, it cracks me up because I could totally, (laughs) I could totally imagine what their faces must look like when you're saying some of those things to them, like, oh, mom, and probably like rolling their eyes eyes or like, I know, you know, something else. Absolutely. <laughs> and I, yeah, I think it's brilliant. My children are eight and five. So my conversation with them is a little bit different for sure. Like it's more like when you eat that thing, how does it make you feel? Do you feel tired? Do you feel wired? We notice that when you eat this thing, you have these like meltdown. And so they're starting to put it together to that way. But I love the teenage speak. So I've heard you in at least one previous interview say thank you to the keto community for kind of bringing, right, paleo, keto, whatever, right? There's been this like real spotlight on sugar based on these labeled diets or lifestyles. And you've said, you know, it does kind of offer a solution roughly to individuals with sugar and food addiction. But where do you think it is that maybe people go wrong? Like where do you see people going off the rails when it comes to trying the keto, paleo, whatever kind of way? Well, I think when they phase back in, right? Because that's the thing with the keto community, not community, because I know some stay on it and they're very strict on just staying on what really keto is. But when you phase in the snacks and phase, basically phasing the sugar back in. And I don't know. I mean, it's just when, you know, because the proof it's out there. I mean, the more sugar you have, the more cravings you're going to have. So creating these keto friendly snacks, you know, I think that really throws people off. That's what seems to be the thing for me. That's what I think. Yeah, that's pretty much it. 
It's just, it's going to kick up your cravings. Yeah. Well, and it's also that behavioral piece, right? Of getting back into snack mode and thinking you need to eat all the time. Anytime you feel a little pang of hunger that, oh, I need to make sure I fix that right away. Or is that hunger, right? Maybe that's a feeling and it's not hunger. And so we're again, using food in a negative way. So I appreciate you so much saying that. Can you talk about your Facebook group a little and some of the unique challenges that you have found the individuals in their face, like highlight some of the ones that are the most common, but maybe some that we wouldn't think of might be a challenge for some of your members? I think because sugar is marketed in so many ways, some way it's healthy, right? These artificial sugars are healthy. They're natural. They're organic and all that. Well, I mean, when you have to go back to like, okay, what does sugar do? I don't care what kind of sugar it is. So even if it's artificial, natural, organic, it still kicks up your cravings. And so you may not be here to try to get the information to lose weight, and that's great. But if you're talking about your cravings, all cravings, because it's not just eating, it could be whatever you're craving, like, right? Because I think it's the one thing we kind of just identify with food, but no, like if you're a shopper, you're going to be a real shopper when you're on sugar. Hoarders hoard more when they're on sugar. So it's like just really just trying to bring it back home and just say, this is, I think that's the biggest challenge is because sugar is in everything. Like it, it's just like, okay, yeah, I know that box says no sugar, but let's really look at the ingredients. Take a picture of it. Let's look at it. And so it's really just kind of breaking down labels. And that is what it is. And then you provide people with the sugar awareness list. It's got like over 70 names. And it's like, okay, here's the list. Now you take it and you compare, you read it. So and I think that's helpful for anybody, really, because most of us just don't know how much sugar is in everything. Yeah. And so that makes me wonder, you know, you had talked about the fuel deserts, you know, it's, it's not so much that maybe there's a lack of food or food products in across wherever, right? Like low economic all the way to high socioeconomics areas. It's this fuel desert. And for our listeners who maybe haven't heard you speak about fuel deserts before, can you explain what you mean by using that term? And how do you help those folks in your Facebook group kind of navigate those fuel deserts or even like food bank situations like we were chatting about prior to pushing record, how do you help them navigate and maybe mitigate harm? So that is a tough one because I think for a long time, it really made sense that the food deserts exist and they do, right? It's hard for you to get to a grocery store, but when there's plenty of food around, it's just that the grocery store may not be a good grocery store. It may not have the high quality fruits and vegetables that you want, then that really becomes a fuel problem. When we look at so fuel desert being that there's plenty of food around is just poor fuel, right? So poor fuel, then you're in a fuel desert. So that's a struggle because we know in this world, when we talk about sugar, we talk about sugar, flour, and processed foods. So it really is tough. I mean, but then when you just kind of tell people to stick around the proteins, stick around the vegetables, then normally people can find a way to get to those. I mean, a lot of people can, 
I think for most of us, and that's just not people in my Facebook community, I think it's just anybody in general. It's like time. How do you take time to prepare the food for the day or the week? So we've got a lot of barriers, but and as you can tell, this is kind of soft in my heart because it's just really something that people in general struggle with. So I think the biggest thing is like in our community, we kind of just talk about different ways that, hey, this worked for me, this worked for me, or this is taking a snapshot of this is what my lunch looked like today. And it may not be like nice big piece of chicken and nice vegetable. It may be wrapped salami with cheese, but that worked. And it definitely fit in the category of having something healthier than the bag of chips that you normally would have had. Yeah, I love that. And it's definitely at the food banks or anybody who's facing that financial insecurity, there are foods available like the canned proteins, the chickens, the tunas. There's definitely tomato sauce versus like pasta sauce and just there is things available. But what I love that you were speaking about was that starting from the ground and maybe doing some gardening and some growing food of your own in those situations and trying to find ways to become more self-sustainable so that we don't need to rely and not be part of the food waste problem as well. So speaking of prioritizing time on food, can you speak a little bit about things you do for your recovery every day? Oh yeah. I don't know why the shower works. (laughs) Love that. (laughs) You know, I just talk to myself. I really do a lot of resetting in the in the shower. And here's another thing that I noticed. Like if I don't write it down, it's gonna flop. There's something about writing it down for the day. And people who know me there are like, she has a lot of paper and crap and my calendar, I've always got it with me. But it's because I have to write it down and I really have to check it off. I think you really have to go through the day sort of being intentional, especially with food, because somebody's going to (laughs) come to you with some offer that's outstanding. And a trigger for me is like new food. Girl, like what? (laughs) Like I've never had that. So yeah. And I do a lot of visualizing. I had to talk to a friend the other day about, she's like, well, how am I going to celebrate my birthday? And because I know I'm going to have a drink. And I know I'm not supposed to be doing sugar, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, I think, first of all, you need to really visualize that day. Let's talk about your outfit that you're going to wear. Let's talk about the friends that you're going to invite to be around you on that day. And let's talk about that drink that you're going to sip on the whole night. Because what you don't want to do is to go into that situation and binge. We're going to talk about the one special drink that you want for your day. It's your birthday. The one special drink. But you're also going to remember that you visualize water on the table. You visualize in between your drink, you're going to have plenty of water. I'm doing that a lot for myself, but also uh, to help other people too, because binging is just a whirl. That's a whole, (laughs) it sucks and it happens. So you might as well prepare yourself for it. So just visualizing and writing things down is really helpful for me. And just really a prepared food that helps. If you don't have a food plan, not that you've got to have every meal mapped out, this is what I'm going to have. But if you're going to work for a 12-hour shift, you got to know what you're going to eat. I mean, if you don't, you're going to get into a pinch and you're going to eat something that's wrong. So, yeah. I love it. I think you're very much on the same playing field, I think, as many of, you know, Clarissa and I, for sure, where we have to do those same things. We have to go into it with intention and we have to be mindful about the things that we're saying yes to, whether it be 
an offering of a brand new food we've never tried before or one more task to put on our to-do list because that stress, just that little bit of stress can be enough to send us over to where then we are binging at the end of the night or having that like planned thing. And again, that is not for everybody. I just want our listeners to know, we know that that's not for everybody. If you are a late stage addict, something like that is not for everybody. But if you're more on that harmful user side of things and you know that having that drink, that planned drink or that planned treat or whatever won't send you over the edge as long as you're mindful about it, then absolutely. That's a really great tactic that I know that I've talked to people about before too. Or even the client that just can't give up the Friday night pizza with the family, even though they are full aware of their disease diagnosis. And then we just say, okay, it's every Friday night. It's you take your pieces, they're on your plate, knife and fork, sit down and you're intentional and mindful with it. And it's surprising how little time it actually takes for them to get back to me and go, okay, it totally was for an emotional thing, not for the actual, like, it's not even about the pizza. It's about this other thing. I don't think I need it anymore. Awesome. Right. So it's those little things like that where we're willing to meet people where they're at and then they grow from, right. They are mindful. They're intentional. The awareness. I just love your approach, Sean. And I appreciate hearing that from you too. It's always nice to get like that validation that we're not crazy yeah, <laughs> and working yeah. with clients I, in that way. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I reach and just, it honestly would exclude me. And especially, like I said, yeah. three years ago, that it just couldn't do it. I'm like, no, no. You know, and the, the whole point is like, we want to help as many people as possible. And hopefully the light will switch on. And it usually does. I mean, when people lose weight, that's kind of like a, they're happy about that. And if they've got to take less medication, they're happy about that. Mm -hmm. When you get a clear mind, you can't tell me that that's not great because you were having great days before, but now you see all skies are blue. So yeah, it's just, uh, you just want that for everybody. And yeah, that's the point to me is just bringing that awareness to the table. Yes. Oh, it must be the advocate in you speaking to the advocate in me. Cause I just, <laughs> I like feel like it gives me such a great, pleasant feeling to hear you say that. So I appreciate that being who you are and you living that. And, and I think that's great. So tell us what new topics or what topics in this field are you the most interested in further exploring? Are there things out there that we haven't touched on as a field, having taken Bitten's course and of course, working with clients and patients in American Heart Association, all that kind of stuff. Like what topics do we need to be looking at more? That is such a good question. You know, it's so crazy because it seems like the more, I don't know if you all feel this way, but I definitely feel like sometimes you're so busy doing your work (laughs) that you don't get a chance to read what's already written or to see what's already done. And I don't think I could bring up anything that's probably not already being done. I think just for me, like just looking, being a newcomer into this world is just, like I said, I just had to tap into awareness. That to me just opens the gate. But I I think we're going to have to talk about food sources at some point and on the larger scale, like how do we get closer to whole foods without using our whole check? Yeah. (laughs) You You know, because... It's, it's expensive, right? To eat like well. So I don't know. I think there's so much like, and really through the lens of human rights and social justice, there's just so many pieces and aspects that you could pull in that tie into like sugar. I think we're all doing something that's bigger than what we think. We really do. At the end of the day, I think we we're just like, no, I mean, I think we get out here because we're like, I want you to feel like I feel <laughs> It's really it. Like you just like, come on, girl, 
I mean, I know you see that sky's blue out there. Come on. (laughs) So that's what it's about. So, and really, like when you say you've built up a community and you're working on that community, it's just so that we can have more communities, right? That understand that everything is good. We got this. So I don't know. I think it's bigger. Yeah. And I think you don't even know how much new kind of treatment and information you are giving already, Shun. Like you are tying this sugar piece together with the history, creating this community. Like you are out there doing what you need to do for other people. And that service is beautiful. And I am so grateful to know you because it's just, and watch you, watch you do your thing and get those people to that same level of you where they're like, the sky is blue today. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, and I just, you know, like I have to piggyback and just say, I know you all feel this way. Like when you decided to go all deep in into this sugar world that you felt sort of crazy. But, you know, having people who have already been down the road 10, 15, 20, 30 years before you to validate and support and just like, hoorah, come on, bring your bag, girl. Come on, let's have a slumber party. That's huge. And the support, like I said, the support and sisterhood and and just the community of sugar period has been so open and just supportive. Yeah. And I love that like so many leaders in the field are so accessible, right? And for sure, I think Molly and I both experienced that like, what are we doing moment? Is this even a real thing that I'm doing? Even though, you know, I just submitted the ICD proposal with 36 pages of scientific research that says food addiction is a thing, but you still question it someday because most of the world is just not there yet. And I think yet is the biggest thing. And we are at the beginning of where this will go. And so I'm just so grateful for your work. So can you tell us where our listeners can find you? Yeah. Email. Email first is sugarmodeoff at gmail.com. And then Instagram, which don't compare me to you all (laughs) Instagram. (laughs) I was looking at my daughter's Instagram page the other day. I was like, you should help me. Like, <laughs> like I, I keep forgetting that I'm like so late and slow with this. But so, but yeah, it said Sugar Modal, you know, my Instagram. And then if there's anybody that's interested in joining the community, and I don't like to say it's just for women of color, I really just say that it's open to women of color and allies. It really is because it really is, we don't get anywhere by ourselves and being in a corner, you know, and just trying to figure out our own plan. It's really open to people who just are open-minded to understanding that history, health, and sugar are connected for communities of color. So let's see. So you can find me on Facebook and I'm at Sean Foreman at Gmail. At Gmail. Everything's at Gmail. I'm sorry. I'm at Sean Foreman on Facebook. So if you're interested in joining the community, just let me know. So I'm just super excited about just being, you know, alive and just seeing things differently. And I say this sincerely, like when when we talk about like, what do you think you're going to be doing? I don't know. Like, I honestly... Like I'm, I'm such a nurse. 
And I so love my job, you know what I'm saying? So, but to find that there was a world out there outside that really needed this awareness, including myself, is a huge find for me. And it's just, it's so positive, such a positive feeling to give and to motivate people to create change. I love your story. It reminds me a lot of Jonathan Cranford's story. I don't know if you got an opportunity to listen to that, Shun, but Clarissa and I interviewed. He's a teacher in Texas. He's a I teacher in Texas, Dallas. and he yeah 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 yeah. yeah. He, I've got to find it. Oh, yeah. Yes. And he loves his job. (laughs) He loves his job, but also he knew this was his story and he wrote his book and the workbook and he has a Facebook group and that kind of thing. And he's always happy to point people in a, in a direction and help people out kind of deal, but bringing that awareness piece. And it just, again, it just makes me so happy to know that people are out there on different levels as far as like, how that like grassroots level, I guess is basically what I'm trying to say. Like you're in the trenches, like working your job, living your life, but also doing this social justice piece. And I just honor that. And I'm so in awe of that. And so again, just thank you so much for being here. And before we let you go, we have a signature question that we ask everybody. So if you could tell a younger version of yourself, something about sugar and processed foods, what would it be? Wow. That is such a good question. So because being an African-American woman, I would tell my younger self to become obsessed with the topic of sugar in any way possible, because it really will teach you more about your history that's not told in the schools. And it will also teach you more about your health that's not told in your schools. So I think that's it. That's what I tell my younger self. That's such a beautiful answer. Oh, I feel like this has been like a whole love affair podcast with us. Oh my God, I just have so enjoyed every single moment of it. And I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us today. And I just, you know, you're a bright light for oh, sure. Thank you. I have bright lights with me. Look, <laughs> thank you. This is the community. Like you said, we can't do it alone. So yeah, no, thank you so much. And we appreciate your time and taking the time to meet with us today. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Food Junkies, Recovery from Food Addiction. Make sure to join our Facebook group, Sugar Free for Life Support Group, I'm Sweet Enough. You can subscribe to our show in iTunes or Stitchers. That way you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Don't forget to pick up your copy of Dr. Tarman's book, Food Junkies, which is available on Amazon. If you have any additional questions, both Molly and Clarissa are food addiction professionals and work one-on-one with clients. You can find their websites and email addresses in the show notes. Be sure to tune in every Friday when our new episodes drop. As Vera loves to say, the power is ours.